you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15 uh, this, uh, this morning, Luke 15. I love Luke 15. It's one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. Um, it's where Jesus is, does some really intense teaching about lostness. Um, and so, uh, as, as, and we're going to... As we, we're going to kind of focus on the uh, the story of the prodigal son. This is really um, so. Luke fifteen, you have you have three distinct parables that Jesus teaches. You have the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost son. When you look at the parable of the lost son, uh, you generally it's actually two different parables that have been kind of squished together, uh, and they they use the family unit. And Jesus uses the family unit as uh, the conduit with which to uh, give you the message. And so, as we continue our series, I love this series. Uh, to my friend who left the faith, it, it's very simple. Um, we were looking for like one really good one word, like like almost like focused, you know, like how we had that, and it just sort of draws you in. Uh, really, this is this is the the best thing. I, I hate to to say that there are people that come in the church, they grow up in the church, they leave the church uh, because either the church hurts them or somebody within the church hurts them, or you know, in some cases the the church shines light uh, on sin that maybe they're struggling with, uh, and, and, and maybe we don't always do it in the most loving, compassionate manner. I hate that that's the way it goes, but sometimes that's the case. Sometimes people just simply don't want to acknowledge the fact that, that, that lifestyle and behavior and, and, um, and thoughts and desires can be inherently sinful, and so, um, and so rather than, than a body come, come alongside of them and try to walk them through that, a lot of times people will leave. There's a lot of people that reason that are a lot of reasons that people leave the local church. What I hope we dive into, and I hope you saw it a little bit last Sunday uh, with the resurrection, there's some folks that leave and they just cannot wrap their mind around the fact that Jesus rose bodily. And because Jesus rose bodily, so can we. There are some other issues that, that we deal with that cause us to, that cause people to um, lose the luster or the love for the local church. And so I want us to address that because above all else, when you call a pastor, okay, which God willing be awfully soon, okay, when you do that, you need to be asking yourself now because you're in that kind of kind of place. Um, and I can only speak from it from a guy's perspective. Um, uh, when Allie and I were getting married, now we dated for five years or for four years, and then we were engaged for the fifth year. Um, you know, I was, I was thinner when we started dating. And like I had, I had more muscles and that were covered up by other things. And, and, and like, like, you know, like I, I was a little more svelte, I suppose was probably the best word I could use. Um, and, and then, and then, you know, we, that last three or four months before the wedding, things started getting super real. And I realized that I was going to have to fit into a tux with photos that were going to last the rest of my life. Okay, someone once asked me, would you rather preach a funeral or a wedding? I'd rather preach a funeral a hundred times out of a hundred. Okay, let me tell you why. Because in weddings, they video. Okay, and every year on your anniversary, you're going to watch your wedding video. Okay, and if I as the minister say something stupid in your, in your wedding, you're going to remember it forever. All right, funerals aren't that way. All right, but all I remember is now that every, every year on my anniversary, Allie um, will either pull out our wedding, invi- or our wedding uh, not invite, our wedding um, uh, video, or she'll, she'll post a photo of us at our wedding uh, online. And I just think I really should have lost a few more pounds. 
Like I really should have done a little bit better job. You as a church, you're there. Okay, you're in the place where like you don't have time to really think about um, what kind of church do we want to be when our next pastor gets here because the U-Haul is being loaded. Okay, and and so you know, it's time for y'all to start really drilling down what kind of church do we want to be when our pastor gets here. Okay, and this series. For church folks, people who have left the faith, many of them are not in the room today. But there are some that are watching online. There are some that, that, may, that you may know that you work with, that you play pickleball with, that you crossfit with, or that you go to the beach with. Okay, And maybe if, if you guys can be ready and understand why people leave the local church then maybe, just maybe, you can prevent, at least in this body, you can't do anything about churches down the road, but in this body, you can be a church that when someone who maybe has doubts or concerns or has been hurt by the local church in the past or maybe is struggling with something, you can show them love and compassion, balancing truth and grace. And that's what this series is all about. And that's a lot of what this story of the prodigal son is about. So often we focus on the rebellious son. And there's, I had a pastor call it one time, and I, and I really like it, that this, this parable is really two parables. It is the parable of the rebellious son, and it's the parable of the respectable son. And I've never forgotten that. We spend so much time on the one who goes to daddy, because I'm telling you, I can... I can preach that sermon, all right? He goes to daddy and says, I want my inheritance and I'm going to go blow it in Vegas, okay? That's what I'm going to do, all right? I'm going to go roll around in the pig slop and then I'm going to, you know, and then, and then I'm just going to, I'm going to do life on my own. You're not going to, gonna, you know, you're not going to tell me what to do anymore. I'm not going to live under your rules and under your regulations. I am done with you, right? He runs away. That's an easy sermon, and I could probably um, preach it in such a way that you guys, even if you've never amened a sermon before, I could probably get you to. Verses 25 through 32 are going are, are gonna to prick you today. Because I think there are many more people in the local church today that would identify as the respectable son than would identify as the rebellious son. And so today's big idea is this, is that the younger son gets most of the grief, right? For taking his inheritance and blowing it on an immoral lifestyle. In actuality, I want to submit this to you. In actuality, the elder son, the older son, was just as lost, yet he never left home. Now, is this an original thought from Patrick? No. There is a wonderful book that I would love to encourage you to purchase. Um, it's an older book. I mean, it's probably 15 years old now. Uh, it's, it's a book by Tim Keller called The Prodigal God. If you've never read it, it changed my life. Not as much as the scriptures. Scriptures are always going to be, be paramount. But... As a supplemental reading to the scriptures, some of Tim Keller's thoughts on this, and I've, I've, I've borrowed some of them, so I'm going to drop his name so that, that whatever I steal is not stealing. It is, it, I'm giving him citation, all right? Um, the things that, he, that, that Tim Keller speaks to regarding the losses of the elder son are things I can't get into in a 40-minute you know, sermon with you here today. Um, let's read verses 25 through 32 together in Luke chapter 15, and then we're going to spend some time and we're going to unpack he said, now his, now his elder, or his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. All right, let's talk context, okay? Dad standing at the, at the mailbox waiting for his son to come home. What a picture of Jesus, right? That, that the, the, you know, the rebellious son comes, he smells like pig slop, and he smells like, like he's, you know, hadn't had a shower in a little while. He's got no money. 
And it's kind of like college kids coming home to do their laundry, okay? It's very similar. All right, and so he, he you know, the son is coming home. The father grabs his garment and runs out. Um, and, and, and respectable men did not pick up their garment and run anywhere. It just wasn't respectable. Um, and, and so he throws his arms around his son, stinky and all, um, you know, puts a ring on his finger, a cloak around him so he doesn't look so grubby, and then throws a party, okay? And so here, the older son hears all of this. He hears the music, uh, and, he, and he said he heard music. Music and dancing, and he called, verse 26, he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, begged him, literally. He said, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. If you're, if you're comfortable writing in your Bible, underlining, underline that or circle, uh, highlight that phrase, these many years I have served you. We're going to come back and unpack that in a few minutes. He says, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him? And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother of, for this brother was dead. I'm sorry, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let me tell you the problem. I'm going to give it to you in, on the front end because I want to unpack it as we go down. Um, the, the sin that the elder brother struggled with was pride, okay? It is the same sin that got Adam and Eve in trouble in the garden, right? The serpent comes slithering by. He says, hey, don't you, want, don't you think that God would want you to be like him? Like, why would he create you and not want you to be like him, to have fellowship with him, etc.? And uh, they said, they said, well, you know, they told us we could eat from any of the tree, any tree in the garden, but the one in the center. And he goes, did God really say that? Like, don't you want to be like God? And that's all, that's all Eve needed to hear. Okay, And then she gave to Adam. Adam and Eve both ate. The pride was not the, the disobeying of God. The, that, was not, let's put it, that was not the first sin. The first sin was the pride that welled up inside of them, that there was a chance that they might be able to be like the God that created them. Pride, church, is something we struggle with in the local church. And I wish it wasn't that way. I wish that we, were, I wish that, that we could always... Keep within us the wonder and the majesty of our salvation. But there, there comes a time over time that many believers, I'm not going to say all, okay, but many believers begin to forget what it felt like to be lost. And they only remember what it was like to be found. And in that, that pride wells up. And when we see folks who are lost, when we see folks who are struggling in sin, or we see folks who are struggling with doubt uh, or, or having questions, we wonder, you know, we, we look at them and we wonder, why are you struggling? Get over it. it. It's easy, right? We don't forget what it was like to be lost. And that is pride that wells up within us. So three things I want us to look that this passage shows us about pride. Number one is that our pride enslaves us. Let me ask y'all. I asked you last week how many of y'all uh, had siblings. And so I'm going to piggyback on that. Out of you that raised your hand that said that you were or that you have siblings, um, how many of y'all would, would, would be willing to raise your hand online or in the room today? Uh, you would be willing to raise your hand and say, I was the, out of my, my, my siblings, I was the good sibling. I, I, was, the, I was the virtuous one. Uh, I was the one the parents loved the most. Like, I, you know, and, 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 and you, know, you know, I was the humble one. You know, I'll be honest with you, I have no siblings, so I was my parents' favorite. 
okay? I was the good one. I made the best grades. I made the best decisions. And clearly, I was the most humble, okay? Um, <laughs> here's what we find, okay? Here's what we find in, in, in this dude, the elder son. We find that, that he had this feeling of entitlement, of this self-righteousness, and it kept him from being in fellowship with his family, Here's the thing, church, we have to get back to this idea, and I want you to be there before your new pastor arrives, okay? If we think that we have something that we can go to God and stand before his throne, first, if we are standing at the throne of God, we're already in trouble, okay? But if we feel like we can go stand before the throne of God and boast about our righteousness, we forget who the one is who imputed that righteousness upon us. We, don't, we forget that we were the ones that turned to God in repentance, and so when you look at, at this, this feeling, the older son, verse 25, was in the field and he heard this music and dancing and he called one of the servants and was like, what is going on? Can you imagine what welled up within him when he heard that the, that the servant say, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf? Let's talk about a fattened calf. Okay, like I love to cook meat. Okay, love got to hang out with the pioneers on Tuesday. I, I, I killed a bunch of pigs for this. Okay. And we had just a blast. We had a great time, great time with good food. And so uh, in doing so, the fattened calf, like that's what everybody wants to cook. It's tender, it's juicy. Some of y'all are like, let, let me tell you, all right. I know that you think that steaks just show up in the public's cooler, like in that almost like manna from heaven or the quail in the evenings in the Exodus. Like the, the, the ribeye just shows up in the, no, that ribeye at one point was a cow. Okay. And, 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 and so, but, and I'm sorry if I've, if I've wrecked your worldview today, I'm so sorry. All right. But like the fattened calf, it hasn't had time to get old and angry and grumpy. It is still tender and juicy and wonderful. Uh, a, a fattened calf is a, is a privilege from a guy that loves to cook meat. A fattened calf is a privilege to cook back in the first century. That's what you, I mean, that's what you, when you wanted to throw a party, that's what you cooked. And so he, think about the brother. He's going, dad killed a fattened calf for that dude? Does he not remember what happened just a few months ago? You already see the wedge that the elder son is putting in between him and his wayward brother. The elder son thinks his obedience justifies him thinks that his obedience separates him from his brother, justifies him before his father. Just as the Pharisees, don't miss this, just as the Pharisees thought their obedience separated them from the commoner before their father. And so here comes the older brother. He hears the party. He wants an explanation. It's interesting as... It says that verse 28, says he was angry and he refused to go in. He, he isolates himself. He isolated himself from the party. He was angry. His father comes out. Can you imagine? His father comes out and says, son, what are you doing? Come on in. Do you not hear the, hear the party going on? Come, come be a part of the family. The elder son refused to go in. He says, look at verse 29. He says, but he answered his father, look, look, number one, if I ever went to dad, my dad, 
who, by the way, I'm taller than my dad. I weigh more than my dad. I'm probably right out about as strong as my dad. Man, I hope he doesn't listen to this. Um, <laughs> Dad's 26 years older than me. My dad's still the boss. All right. I don't know what kind of dad super strength you get. Dad could whip my rear end if he needed to and would have absolute reason to do so some, some days. I would never go to my parents and go, look. <laughs> that would just be the worst day ever. He says, he says, look, these many years I've served you. In his refusal to go in, he dishonors his father. His father was the one who was so excited about his little brother's return. He knew. Someone very, very wise once told me that that when someone does something we don't like and demands a response, that no response is a response. The elder son knew that his lack of participation would speak volumes. This was all by design. He said, I'm not going in. I'm not going to allow my, my presence to give assent to that little jerk coming home. He says, look, I, this, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. The elder son wouldn't even go to the father. He made his father the respectable man who, by the way, owned everything the family had. He made that respectable man come out to him, come into the field, disrespected him and made him come into the field and come try to talk him in. He blindly disrespected his family. And he failed to honor his father the way that he should have. Even though the father begs him to come in and to join the festivities, look at what all the elder son could see was his righteousness. How do we know? Look at the pronouns. Look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command. I've been faithful. As a matter of fact, he says, these many years I have served you. It's interesting because the English doesn't really portray what the Greek says. The Greek there is actually uh, for served. Uh, really, served probably isn't, isn't the best English transliteration of the word. That Greek word is the Greek word doulos, all right, or douleo um, in its, its form. Literally means slave. The son could have used the other word. It's a word that you recognize. It's, it's the other word to mean serve or to serve is the Greek word diakonos, where we get deacon, right? Now your deacons are servants. He could have said, all these years I have diakonosed. All these years I have served you. He goes one step further. He said, I have been slaving myself for you. It may have been a little bit of hyperbole. Coming from, from my personality, I read it as sarcasm. Like, look, I've been slaving myself for you. You think, you think that elder son was the same as the other servants on that property? If the father was willing to treat the rebellious younger son with love and respect, imagine the respect and the love that he showed the son that stayed. Son didn't say, he said, I have been slaving myself for you and you don't even give me a goat. All I want is a goat. And I don't know if you've ever traveled to, to a, a country that's not, we don't cook much goat in the U.S., um, not because it's not good when it's prepared right. It's good. Let me tell you, there ain't, there ain't no goat in this world that tastes as good as a fattened calf. He says, 
You won't even give me a fattened calf. Elder son, enslaved, it's funny how he says it. He enslaved himself by keeping himself from the party. He was in, 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 in a certain bondage to his own pride. Church, when, when we look at, at someone who has gone a wayward direction, someone you know, maybe someone that grew up in the church and left, or maybe someone who you want to come to Jesus. For those who have forgotten what it's like to be lost, sometimes we drive that wedge between their unrighteousness and our righteousness. Almost as if our righteousness, like we had something to do with it. When in fact, in our most unrighteous, in the moment we cried out to God, he imputed his righteousness on us. Literally, it says that, that, that the old man throws off the old clothes, right? We talked about this a bit last week. You know, that, that, that you shed your old clothes and you put on the righteousness of Christ. The only act that you have to do with your righteousness is that you accept the gift of God of offering you righteousness through your repentance and faith. The elder son's pride enslaved him, but it also isolated him. He saw himself as, look, look at the end of verse 29. He says, he says, um, yet you never even gave me a young goat that I might chill with my friends. That's Patrick's version, right? That I might celebrate with my friend. But when this son of yours, he doesn't even call him his brother. The moment that, that young man went and told his father, I want my share of the inheritance, I'm gone. The brother went full scorched earth. I'm done with you. Now I want to share with you because Allie will just rip me when we get in the car if I don't share, that scorched earth is, is one of my character flaws. If you hurt me or my family, this is what I struggle with, is going full scorched earth. Because I don't want to be hurt. And, and you may be that way too. Someone walks away from the church. Someone walks away from your life group. Someone walks away from your family. And you're like, I don't need you. I'm done with you. For years, my, my motto in my life, and look, just because I stand up here and stand behind this, this, this table and have my iPad full of notes and share with you God's word doesn't mean I have it all figured out. I struggle with this stuff too. My, my motto in life for years was nobody gets a free pass, not even family. You hurt us, I'm done. The elder brother looks at, at, at his father and says, this son of yours, he left us. He devoured your property with prostitutes, and you kill the fattened calf from him or for him? All right, so let me ask you a hard question. Man, you guys are super quiet today. Like you're afraid to amen that people might look around. I get it. Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all can, don't raise your hand. How many of y'all can honestly say in your own heart that you look at the, at the elder brother's response and you go, I don't really see the problem. Defending his father, defending the family, this guy deserves a medal. Not to be chastised by some preacher for 40 minutes. There's a small part of me that's there. And I think sometimes we hold the church, our life group, our friend group, our family so tightly that if you scorn us, I'm done with you. 
Yet when the disciples go to Jesus and say, I mean, how many times should I forgive someone that's hurt me? Like seven times maybe? Jesus says, not just seven times, but 70 times seven. How many of us sympathize right now? Even if it's a little bit, a little bit, just a little bit. You sympathize with this elder brother. He's almost like an anti-hero to us. Well, the Pharisees did, didn't they? I mean, Pharisees would be cheering this dude on. As a matter of fact, Leon Morris, in his commentary on the Gospel of Luke, says we can easily imagine the elder brother saying of his father, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Much like Jesus said. Look at what the elder brother did. He isolated himself from all of his life because he spent his whole life in the field trying to earn the favor of his father. And also to prove that he would never be the lost cause that his younger brother was. I'll never be that dude. I'll never be that guy. This is a peculiar sin of Christians. It's expressed in an attitude of those that, now I'm going to step on your toes, get ready. It's expressed in an attitude of those who view the church as a social club. Where we bring in our kind of people. And these same people view the church as a place, as a homogenous group of people just like them. And resist others' temptation to go out and bring in the dredge of society who, by the way, need Jesus. But they don't talk like us. They don't look like us. They don't know the lingo like us. They don't know how to dress to come to church. That's the Pharisees, church. And people have walked away from the local church for decades, dare I say centuries, maybe even millennia, because Christian people have forgotten what it was like to be lost. This young man, his pride forced him to work in the fields to earn the favor he already had from his father. So that he might go to everyone and say, look at me, I stayed home. I, 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 I. Church, our response to the grace of God should always be he. Because he showed us love. Because he showed us compassion. Because he showed us care. Because he showed us grace. We isolate ourselves when we allow our pride to elevate us over the lost. And let me tell you, these people out here, many of them know they're lost. They either don't care or they just don't know how to to be found. And the problem is, church, they're not finding the way to Christ from many of our churches because we're so easy being keepers of the aquarium, we forget to be fishers of men. Our pride enslaves us. It isolates us. It should also embarrass us. Look at verse 31. So the the elder son says, "You, you never even gave us a goat. Like, all I wanted was a goat, which is not true, by the way. He wanted the fattened calf, but, but getting the goat doesn't sound like you're asking for as much. It sounds better. 
Don't think we don't know here. Look at how the father responds. He says, son, you're always with me. Don't miss this. Everything I have, all that is mine is yours. Do you think, maybe just maybe, the elder son thought that the younger son would get his share of the inheritance, go blow it, and then come home, and when his dad died, that his dad would want him to split the estate again? So the younger son was taken care of? You think the elder son wasn't thinking of his own checkbook? Let me tell you something about pride. Pride isn't a secret sin. When someone is prideful, they want to depict superiority. If we're prideful people, we want other people to know that we're superior to them. It's a shot. Jesus is throwing a shot across the collective bowels of the Pharisees that were on the side listening to this parable. And yet we see that the father's response illuminates his son's blindness. Everything I have, all that is mine is yours. In Luke chapter 6, in verse 35, Jesus says, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind and ungrateful. I'm sorry, for He is kind to the ungrateful and, to the, and the evil. He said, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And you can add a little tag that's not canonical. Think about it this way. If he says, be, be merciful, even as your father is merciful to you. That's a little Patrick addition to the scriptures. I don't do that often. Leon Morris, again, in his commentary, he said, talking about the elder son, he said, he didn't really understand what being a son means. And that's perhaps why he didn't understand what being a father means. He couldn't see why his father should be so full of joy at the return of the prodigal. The, the elder son couldn't see why a celebration is necessary. Church, I want you to know, if there's someone that grew up in this church and left and maybe went to college and sowed their wild oats, lived the wayward lifestyle, maybe uh, had to deal with some of the consequences of their actions, and they walk back into the, into the church in the next five minutes, we should all be quick to wrap our arms around them and say, welcome home. We cannot be so enslaved and isolated in our pride that we turn our backs to someone who is submitting to Christ. The response of a sinner's submission to Jesus and repentance and the revival of an unbeliever should always be celebratory in the local church. It's tough because sometimes like the elder brother, we allow our pride to step in. It stands in the way of our ability to rejoice. And, and though we like to imagine ourselves to be the younger brother, and believe me, in this story, who would have thought that we would want to be the younger brother? We go out and sow our wild oats. Then we come home and we receive the mercy of the father. Church, the problem is so often many of us in the local church are like the older brother. We tend to think that self-help is how we made it. We tend to think that being broken 
That those that have been broken by sin ought to figure out their way to Jesus on, our, on their own. Mend themselves, mend their ways. Get yourself cleaned up, put on the right clothes, learn the right lingo. And then we would love to have you at Fort Caroline Baptist. You're welcome here. The word prodigal. We transliterate it as, as lost. That's really not a, probably not the best word. The, the word prodigal literally means reckless. We talk about the reckless son, the rebellious son. What you see in this parable, and this is all Tim Keller, is the prodigal in the story may not have been the younger brother. It may have been the father who by our account showed a reckless amount of grace to both sons who were lost. The younger brother that went out and blew his inheritance and the older son that he had to go out in the field and beg to come in. Church, look at what's staring us in the face. Jesus is speaking to us today. How many times does someone walk in the door of the church and rather than welcome them, we are polite. But when they walk away, we look at others and wonder why they're here. Let's finish the story. He said, everything that is mine is yours. It, verse 32, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And here at the end, Jesus ends the story and he moves on to the next parable. We don't know what the elder brother does. I think it's by design. I don't presume to know the mind of God, but I love the way Jesus does this. He leaves the reader or the hearer in this case with a choice to make. What did the elder brother do? Did he come to his senses and go in and throw his arms around his brother and say, man, you really need a bath, but I'm so glad you're home. Or did he stay out in the field and persist in his lostness because he wouldn't be caught dead in that room? What are we going to do? Don't you want to see when your new pastor stands behind this table? Don't you want him to look out on a church that says, come just as you are, but don't leave as you came? I want your pastor who stands up here and looks out at the same people I've been looking at for 10 months to say this is a church on the move. And we're not going to absolve sin. That's not what we do. We're going to recognize it. We're going to call it out. But we're going to love you as you deal with it. Church, don't be the elder brother. Don't be either of the brothers, quite honestly. Be the third brother we don't read about in the scriptures. The one who is that 
balance of truth and grace. Don't ask questions when someone comes off the street and sits in these chairs and wants to know more about Jesus. Just thank God they're here. And show them the grace and the love of Jesus who loved you even in your most unlovable condition. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, you're going to be invited to either go to life group or head out. If you're a guest with us today, in the back, Pastor Matt will be standing in the back. And in the, in the area says, what is your next step? If you want information about our church, if you want information about the ministries, about how to serve, or maybe you're that younger brother. You're, you're the one, you know, you've kind of been rebellious. And you want to check out this church thing and you want to see what it was all about. And you realize that you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. We can help you with that. We want to show you in the scriptures what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Don't miss out on that today. Let me pray. Father, as we go, may we go in the grace of Jesus. God, I pray for this church over the next week, for what's going to happen in this room next Sunday. God, I just pray that your spirit will be all on this place and that there would be a unity and a, and a desire uh, to see your will done for your glory and for our good. Father, glorify yourself in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May God bless you. Y'all have a wonderful, wonderful week.